What do you do when you're stuck with a broken business model? You dig deep and reach into an inner reserve of resilience, grit, and perseverance to pioneer a new range of solutions to make your struggling business thrive. World-renowned fashion icon Tamara Mellon has become a paragon of such business tenacity and savvy. A co-founder of the luxury shoe brand Jimmy Choo back in 1996, Tamara left the company in 2011 with a reported $135 million payout. In 2013, she started her own self-named luxury label in New York, which sold through brick-and-mortar retailers like Neiman Marcus. After realizing that her new venture was using an outdated model of luxury, Tamara filed for bankruptcy and relaunched her eponymous brand in Los Angeles in 2016. The new chapter of Tamara Mellon brings the same top-quality Italian handcrafted shoes to women, but does so in a disruptive, direct-to-consumer model, selling only from her website for a fraction of the price of competing brands. What I saw coming was the digital world is going to eat every industry at the end of the day, and right now it's the fashion industry's turn. So anybody that wants to start a brand today has to create a new business model. Tamara joins the Ivy Podcast to reflect on her roller coaster journey to founding her own brand, revealing it's sometimes necessary to break rules and defy expectations to succeed in a competitive industry. Please enjoy our conversation with Tamara Mellon. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by InstaSleep. Attaining quality sleep is key to a healthy lifestyle and vital in achieving success. Plenty of research has shown the indisputable benefits of getting a good night's rest, which is why you should try InstaSleep, a drug-free, quick-melt sleep aid that is gluten-free, kosher, and non-habit-forming. They taste great and help you fall asleep faster without morning grogginess. An indispensable travel essential for busy professionals, frequent travelers, and jet setters alike, InstaSleep helps counter jet lag and sleep deprivation caused by time zone changes. Ivy Podcast listeners get 18% off by using promo code SLEEPIVY at checkout on Amazon. Learn more on their website, www.upgradeyoursleep.com. Upgrade your sleep with InstaSleep Mint Melts and take on the day. When I first wanted to start Jimmy Choo, I remember the light bulb moment really for me when I was the accessories editor of British Vogue. And in the early 90s, there was one shoe brand and that was Manolo Blahnik. And as a fashion editor, you know, we wanted to shoot some different things. So I found a cobbler in the East End of London called Jimmy Choo. 
and I would get him to make things for shoots. And then I'd photograph them, put them in vogue, and give him a credit. So over five years of doing that, and I wasn't the only fashion editor doing it, there were many other editors doing it, but his name became known, and that is what gave me the moment. I thought, wow, the name is known, but there's nowhere to really buy the shoes. They're one-offs made by hand. This is a great platform to start a business. So that was really my kind of light, light bulb moment um, in the mid-90s. Wow, and, and so how did you then make that transition? So be, being the accessories editor and having a, a great job in the fashion industry mm -hmm. to then taking that leap to starting your own thing. The transition really came um, because I was thinking about having my own business. I always wanted to have my own business and I love fashion. I just didn't know how that would happen or what path I was going to take. Um, being at Vogue is a great stepping stone to being in the fashion business because you work with lux so many luxury brands, the best photographers in the world, the best hair and makeup. You go to fashion shows, you really learn the industry, but I wanted to have my own business. And I wanted to have my own business because as a young woman in the mid-90s, it was so important to me to have my independence and my freedom. It's still important to me today, but that was the beginning of it. Yes, so you always knew that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, was When you made that transition then, what were the emotions around that? Since you had known, was it pure excitement? Was there trepidation, fear? Tell us a little bit about that kind of personal feeling surrounding that transition. Well, making, making the transition is always a risk. So there's always fear and anxiety around that. But unless you take risks, you don't gain anything. So I knew that this was my big opportunity. So I decided this is this is the risk I'm gonna take. And I borrowed 150 grand off my dad. Um, and that's how most startups happen with friends and family. Um, I actually experienced going out to the market and trying to raise money and it didn't happen because I had no track record. So really, if for startups, you really find that it's friends and family that do that um, seed uh, investing, and then you can go out and get what is called angel investors. Awesome, awesome. So when you, it's fascinating to hear that that Jimmy Choo already had started to build that that name through these shoes that was being created. And so when you decide to actually turn into your brand, what was the initial kind of mission or concept then behind turning that into a line that people could? So the initial concept was, I said to Jimmy, okay, you design the collection and I will run all the operations of the business. I'll go to Italy and find factories. I'll do the wholesale distribution. I'll open retail stores. I'll do the PR and marketing because I'd actually worked in the fashion business for 10 years um, before I started Jimmy Choo. Before I was at Vogue, I, did, I worked at a PR company. Um, before that, I worked at Mirabella magazine. And I actually started my career what, selling shows, sh um, not sh shoes, that's a edit, selling. I actually started my career selling clothes on a shop floor. So I really knew the industry from the ground up. That's amazing. Um, and so was, because you were working at Vogue, was it natural that this brand was going to be a luxury brand? Or because it was a counter to the only other brand that was out there? Or, or what, 
what was the drive to, to take it as a luxury as opposed to something a little bit more? So really the drive to take it as uh, luxury because working at Vogue, that's all the products I've been working with were, were predominantly luxury. And the factories in Italy um, were predominantly luxury. And I wanted to make amazing quality shoes. And I wanted to work with the best tanneries and the best factories. And I wanted to produce something that's a very high standard. Absolutely. What were, um, was there a moment with Jimmy Choo that you felt um, that the, you knew the brand had broken through or succeeded? I knew the moment uh, the brand had broken through in summer of 98. We received our spring summer collection samples and I knew that when I opened the box that they were so incredible that this was gonna be a breakthrough moment. And it really was a breakthrough moment for us. Um, Saks came in and they um, did a 3,000 pair order. Uh, Candice Bushel, who wrote Sex in the City, came into the store and fell in love with the shoes and that's how we ended up on Sex in the City. So really that was, that was a big breakthrough moment for us. Awesome. Yes, definitely remember that. That's like so um, So then, you know, you, you worked there. Um, well, tell me a little bit about, you know, you were there for a long time, and then eventually you decided to, to leave and go on to start now to Marmel and your own brand. What prompted that transition, and, and had you been thinking about first that for some time, and kind of what led to, to your transition out of Jimmy Choo? Uh, what prompted my transition out of Jimmy Choo was um, it had been 16 years of building the brand. I'd been through uh, three private equity deals and then one final sale process. And after going through that many private equity deals, I was kind of burnt out. Um, you can only do that so many times. Um, and I felt the company was at a size now where I'd kind of lost control of it and I didn't feel um, proud to stand next to the product anymore. Um, so I decided I'm, either, I'm just probably young enough to start again and I saw the future of the business coming and I wanted to create a new business model. Yes, that's very interesting about, I know you're doing new things now with Mara Mellon. Um, based on all your experience at Jimmy Choo and, and taking it you know, to where you are now, what were some of the, the things that you, the lessons from Jimmy Choo um, that you took you know, with you into the new business and some things that you specifically wanted to do differently when you launched your new brand? So the lessons I brought into the new business are quality. So everything about the way we make the shoes is still in the old way. It's still the old part of the business. So working with the best factories in Italy, working with the best quality leather, having the, the best skilled technicians, the best designers, everyone you know, creating this product, there's still a lot of handwork that goes into the product. But the new part is the business model. What I saw coming was that basically the digital world is going to eat every industry at the end of the day. And right now it's the fashion industry's turn. So anybody that wants to start a brand today has to create a new business model. So the last brand to be built in the traditional way probably was Michael Kors. And no one again will build a billion dollar business in the way that I built Jimmy Choo. Launching an eponymous line, you know, with your name on it now instead of someone else's, how does that feel different for you? 
Um, I, it feels really great to launch a brand with my own name now. Um, there's no confusion around uh, around it anymore. Um, there was always some slight confusion at Jimmy Choo because my name wasn't Jimmy Choo. Um, and this feels really great. And this brand now is very authentically me, um, down to the language we use, the images, the innovative design on the shoes. Um, everything about this is my authentic voice. Yeah. What, so on that note, what is the mission behind tomorrow? So the mission is to create the next generation of luxury brands um, and build something with an honest voice. And the mission is to deliver shoes how women want to buy them. So I believe that the customer is way ahead of the fashion industry. And even as a creative industry, it works on an antiquated system of doing collections, four collections a year, putting it through a wholesale distribution channel. So I believe, we don't believe in collections anymore. We don't design collections. We just design by the month and we put new product up every month. That's also season appropriate because in the traditional way of building a brand, they do it by seasons and then they try and sell you clothes in the wrong season. They try and sell you uh, spring, summer and January, February and you know winter clothes in July and August. And nobody lives like that anymore. No one thinks like that. No one shops like that anymore. So we're really giving the customer what she wants when she wants it. Awesome. Awesome. And is there, in terms of marketing, so that's you know distribution and design and collection, the differences from June 2, um, how do you find that marketing has now changed with Tamara Mellon versus what you were doing to market Jimmy Choo? So what's very important now in marketing is your values and having an authentic voice. Um, traditionally, you know, everything was smoke screens and mirrors, right? And you never really knew the truth um, behind the brand. People would create images um, and they'd put up print, you know, glossy images in print magazines and it was always about, we have to sell a dream. Right? And people don't really want that anymore. They want something that's real. So we talk to our customers in a real voice about real issues that concern us today. Uh, we shut the company down on uh, Women's Day and we said, you know, maybe this is a day to think about it. And don't worry, we'll be here tomorrow. We'll still sell you shoes tomorrow. You don't need to buy them today. And then on Equal Pay Day, we gave a discount which um, was 20% off because that, that equates to the pay gap between men and women. So everything we do is based on our values. Um, and I think that that's what people want to hear today. They want to hear something that's real. Um, if there's one word or one idea that your brand becomes synonymous with, um, what might that be? I have two words. Okay. <laughs> I have two words that I want my brand to be synonymous with, and that is fearless and loved. Is, um, and what is your, well, what do you want women specifically to know about your shoes, about so I want women to understand that the quality that they're getting, so we pay the same factory price as all our competitors, which are um, other luxury brands like Manolo Blahnik, Christian Louboutin, Jean Vito Rossi, you know, you can pick anybody in that category. We pay the same factory price, but we don't mark them up six times. So we're giving our customer amazing value. And we also want her to know that every time she comes back to us, she's going to see something new. So we're always putting something new up. She doesn't, she doesn't have to come back once 
you know, a quarter and see the same thing because we only design one collection. So she's always going to have something new. And what we really want her to feel is an emotional connection to us. So we want to create a community of, of women who come to the site, and it's not a transactional place. It's a place where they feel they belong to our tribe, they believe in what we're saying, and they also get incredible customer experience. So we really thought the aftercare as well. So once the transaction is done, we don't leave you in the dust, right? So you can come back to us, and if you've scuffed your shoes, you know, in the first couple of years, we'll repair them for free. So we're really thinking about the aftercare of our customer as well. Um, and also on our site, um, you know, we have customer care, people who will talk to you, you can pick up the phone, you can live chat. There's actually a human being there um, because anything that's digitally led is there to enable the relationship. We don't use things that are digital for gimmicks. It's all about creating the relationship with our customer. Absolutely. And it sounds like that um, is even more important when you only exist online. Um, you're, you're going kind of direct to consumer digitally. Are there any other strategies? Um, we recently have the pop up here in LA. Um, what other strategies do you employ to get as much kind of FaceTime with your customer, having them engaging with your shoes um, offline? So the offline is we'll be doing pop-ups um, and we'll be doing trunk shows and we'll actually, we do get groups of our customers in a room and we ask for their feedback. We say, what are we doing that you like? And please tell us what we're, you know, what we're doing that you think we could do better or what services you need, what pain points are there with buying shoes that we could fix. So we actually really listen to her. We actually get out on the ground and talk to her. So I'm going to transition a little bit to um, to the first iteration when you first launched Tomorrow Melon, you then shut it down, declared bankruptcy, and started again. Um, first of all, kind of when when did you first know that that you would have to do that, and, and what do you see as if you can pinpoint one thing um, that maybe was the cause of that? So the first iteration of the Tomorrow Mellon brand started in 2013 um, with the idea of doing Buy Now, Wear Now, which is a big conversation in the fashion industry. But what happened to me is I was too early. And the lessons learned from that is, you know, when you're an early adopter of something, it doesn't always work because everybody's not ready. And also, it takes critical mass to affect change. And that was one of the big lessons. You can't be one person standing there on your own. And especially with a startup, it probably would have been different if I had a company the size of Jimmy Choo. But with a startup, you also can't change it and change the whole industry. And there were so many lessons we learned that now um, have been part of the success of version two of the Tomorrow Mellon brand um, because we also learned that by now where now doesn't really work through the wholesale channel that you have to go direct to your customer. Customer loves it and she wants it, but you can't put it through a th third party channel. It has to be a direct relationship. So the failure of that was really also part of the success of, of the version two of it. So they, they weren't, it wasn't wasted. There were a lot of lessons that were really good in it. Absolutely. Yes, that was definitely. Yeah, so don't, so I would say to anyone, you know, don't be put off by the failure. Take it as a lesson and pick up and just, and pivot and start again. Yes, fantastic. And um, um, do you have any top 
three you know, pieces of advice for entrepreneurs in any you know arena who are facing um, near bankruptcy, you know, or or just a challenging time when they're unsure whether this will succeed. The, the number one advice is intuition. I mean, you know in your gut, like, if you really believe in something that's going to work and it persevere, it's going to work. There are so many times in the first version of this, I could have shut it down um, and walked away. Um, but my, I believed in what I was doing and I believed in the vision. Um, and I think perseverance is one of the one of the hard things you have to persevere through and and really kind of ride out the rough times. And um, do you have top three kind of pieces of advice for people going into fashion entrepreneurship? Um, we're launching a brand specifically potentially luxury. So I, my top pieces of advice to anybody is experience. Um, Work in the industry for as long and take as many different jobs as you can get to learn the industry. Um, you know, what was the success at Jimmy Choo is that I'd actually worked in the industry for 10 years before I started Jimmy Choo. Um, and the, then the success of this, you know, I really, then we, we had the failure, we studied why it failed and we came back stronger. Um, so, but experience, there's nothing like experience. And there were so many jobs that I did when I was young that I thought, I hate this job. Why am I doing this? Um, but when I look back now, I realized what I learned and they were really, it was really valuable what I learned. And what are, you just kind of mentioned, you know, uh, the success now of Tamara Mellon versus when you, when you first started. What were some of those moments with Tamara Mellon that you felt, okay, we've, you know, we're breaking through, um, this isn't going to go the way of, you know, when we first launched, we're not making those mistakes. Was there one moment that stands out for you um, as knowing that you were on the right track now with Tamara Mellon? I think the moment now is is continuous. It's because we're constantly getting feedback from our customers and we're constantly seeing how the product resonates with her and we're able to talk to her directly. So every month on month, we're growing 20% month on month. So we really see that and the more customers we get, the more information we have. So every day there are new learnings in this brand um, and just seeing the, the revenues increase every month um, we know that we know that it's a success. Yes. Final question: um, What what inspires you, and what are you passionate about? Well, the reason I didn't stop was because I'm still passionate about designing shoes. I mean, that's what I love to do. Um, I'm still passionate about the product. I'm still passionate about working with the factories in Italy. I'm still passionate about the creative process and the inspiration and the research. Um, and that's why that's one of the reasons I didn't stop, um, besides wanting to create a new business model. Um, but I love, you know, I love designing the shoes. That's what I'm passionate about. The most satisfying part of what I do is when I'm walking down the street and I see a pair of my shoes. And I don't know the person. I've never had contact with them, but I see the shoes. That is that is amazing. I went to um, Art Basel in Switzerland a couple of weeks ago, and walking around the exhibition, I saw some of my shoes walking around, and that is always the most satisfying to me. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life 
and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.